0: Because you've always taken such charge. You are listening to the Border Chronicle. On September 9, 2020, Tana Autumn and Hietad Autumn members, Amberly Ortega and Nelly Joe David, were at the sacred Quito Baquito Springs when all of a sudden they heard this annoying beeping sound. They both jumped to attention. It was machinery that had arrived nearby to make way for the construction of a 30-foot border wall. They both immediately ran to where the machinery was, an earth mover, and blockaded it. Um, so in the following podcast, in really awesome personal, vivid personal detail, Amber Lee Ortega recounts what happened that day, and she also describes what happened after.. It's really great to have you here with us today, Amber. Was there a time when you were growing up that where you felt like you could cross the border very freely? And the and was there a time when you really started to notice? the presence of the border and the border patrol and the kind of enforcement apparatus that comes along with it.
1: Sure, Uh, absolutely. So, yes, I grew up on the Tahanawatham Reservation. I am a tribal member. Um, I am also a Hiacharatham descendant. Growing up, you know, uh, before the increase of border militarization and before the um, presence of border patrol, you know there was um a very different life that that we lived. Um, my relatives have stories, you know about being a time you know where they were able to uh, go back and forth for for ceremony, for dances, for food, for um, gatherings for for celebrations. and it was um a way that I grew up, you know, I remember my mom taking taking us on our first uh, horseback ride uh, throughout the desert. And I remember being able to walk everywhere throughout the desert, um, you know, taking journeys, just enjoying our our life. And I remember when I got older, you know, I I grew up near the border, Um, there were people, you know, I remember asking my mom. um, And at the time, you know, it was, it was a known thing, you know, people exist all over. All over our areas, and as 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 autumn, you know we are nomadic people. Uh, we travel on foot. Um, you know, as also nomadic. You know, we we travel, and it's uh, migration is natural. Migration is a known thing. You grow up learning uh, while being in the desert, um, plants and an animal. There's a way of life, and so I grew up, you know, being free.
0: Was it even in your consciousness that the border existed at that time?
1: Not the way that it does today. I remember growing up with there being, um, so there was this sense of peace, this, okay, so, you know, people live in, you know, from all walks of life and in all ways in this continent, if you want to call it that, and in, in America, right? We we went through, we've, we grow up knowing our history, um, you know, the gas and purchase and the dividing of our lands and colonization and, you know, how capitalism, you know, came to be and the mining operations and, you know, the displacement of our people. So we grow up understanding that our history um, exists beyond borders, beyond, uh, you know, for even at the Hanawatham Reservation, the reservations. Reservations, you know, we we, we grow up knowing that our lands, you know, are, are beyond what we're um, were educated on um, them being and our people live beyond you know all borders um, So there's this innate knowing and also you know this understanding of who we are being raised on a reservation you know who we are as Auham and what our cultures and traditions mean to our people and there's this um, there's a pilgrimage our people make and it's to Marina and Marina is on the other side of the, um, the border. And one of the things that we experience on those journeys is there's a huge um, there's like a sense of welcome, like welcome home, welcome, you know, on your journey.
0: From the people on the Mexican side of the of the border.
1: Yes, because we have we have relatives on the other side, so so there's a strong history of our people connecting to the other side, our sacred sites. You know, there's the ocean. There's the ocean that exists, um, that our people um, also make pilgrimages to our men specifically, you know, as a coming of age ceremony. So our journeys as, as Atom, as people um, spiritually, traditionally, you know, connect to, to surrounding areas beyond the border. And so growing up, knowing that, um, hearing, hearing from your relatives, the stories, and, and even, you know, how there's Atham out there and how well they speak Atham or, you know, the things, how different things are, it's almost like this, for growing up when you're little, it feels like this mythical place that, you know, you're you're only allowed to travel to, you know, as an adult with your family. And so, yeah, I grew up seeing, you know, with that understanding and then also seeing the changes. You know, I was about nine years old, and this was about in 95 during the Clinton administration. And, you know, there was this, it was shifted, it shifted to there being, um, you know, this push on on this war, and it felt like we were warned. You know, we were we had television. We had one channel available to us. So I grew up out in the middle of the desert. Um, and at the time, the the radio station that exists on the reservation wasn't up and running. And um,
0: how close How close are you to the border where you grew up?
1: I grew up on the fourth village from the border.
0: Which is close, right?
1: Yeah, it's close. Um, it's um, you know, it's a place where my mother grew up. And you know, all my relatives are buried out there in the cemeteries, and so yeah, it's 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 home. And you know, it was. Um, I remember things shifting to this this different place. And my dad, you know, he even spoke to us about you know the things that would be coming around and how different it would change um, things. And and sure enough, you know, we saw the increase of um, border patrol. So then there became border patrol's presence, and there um, there was this new thing, you know, where where our walks of enjoyment, um, became, you know, a surveillance activity. It was to them, it was, uh, something for them to, to do, to follow us. Um, they, they began to monitor, you know, things. And I remember being a little kid and my dad, he was a man who would go to work early in the morning and. He had every morning to explain to them who he was and where he was going. And it became, you know, this agitating thing because he he knew who he was and what he he was doing and where he was going and what he wasn't doing.
0: Did they pull him over? Were they patrolling around in vehicles?
1: Yes, they pulled him over often. They followed him often. Um, It was a cat and mouse thing. He would pull over and they would go over the same script every day, you know, um, where are you going? Who are you? And he would, you know, respond sometimes in, in Otham, And he would sometimes respond in Spanish. And every time, you know, he, they would give him a hard time, you know, he would come home really upset um, because he knew that, you know, he was a target. He said that he knew he wasn't the only one. And he sat us around the you know table and told us, you know, that, that we had the right to say something. Um, uh, my mom, she was upset you know, we, we also experienced that while going to school. Um, you know, I remember them pulling us over and having me speak English, having me speak, you know, they would give me a hard time. Um, it was,
0: did you speak to them in autumn out of curiosity?
1: I did. I would respond in autumn and that's what actually really upset them. Um, when you respond in, in any type of way, you know, that, um, shows any type of resistance, they would, um, become agitated and, you know, there was a point where my dad decided, you know, he wanted us to live off the the Hanawatha reservation. He wanted us to have a different experience. Uh, We ended up moving and explaining to people who didn't grow up the way we grew up was difficult. Um,
0: How old are you when you moved, just out of curiosity?
1: So I was in seventh grade, the end of seventh grade. um, It's a rural area and you know, there are more experiences, he felt like we could have, you know, more opportunities um, off the reservation. And so it was, it felt like there was no sense of peace we could really have when Border Patrol uh, began to exist, you know, on our lands. And they call it Border Patrol checkpoint trauma. Um, You know, there's a lot of documents, documented um, cases where people have, you know, experienced some type of awful thing from, you know, at the hands of Border Patrol agents.
0: Like, what do they do at the checkpoints to people? they from what I understand, on every paved road going out of the Ton Autumn Nation, there is a Border Patrol checkpoint. Is that correct?
1: Yes. They have, you know, uh, made false accusations. And, you know, I felt disrespectful. I felt like, you know, they, they really, truly believed that every single person was a criminal or a terrorist or a drug smuggler or hiding something or... um you know, it just felt it felt like it was those things. I definitely felt the changes. Staying away from the reservation was difficult. You know, one of the things people who don't grow up on reservations don't maybe understand is that this is forever. You know, our our connections to our lands are forever, and our family are forever. I've spent time connecting with relatives um, from different parts of my family. And there was a journey we took. There was a a spiritual run we did along the border. And, you know, we did that in prayer. And it was, you know, for all the desecration, for all the things. There's so much for generations, so many things that have been done that are wrong along the border to our people, with all people. Um, And, you know, it was really heart-wrenching because you know, there is this belief that we're divided people because of this um, this border, the international border, because a line has been drawn because um, you know road barriers exist or now because this fence exists, you know there's these infrastructures that exist, and so therefore we're divided people. And you know it's it's something we are we're working to to um, to show you know to explain to people like look like these borders yes exist these lines yes, exist but that doesn't mean that we need to be divided that we we need to you know buy into the okay we're separated we have to do things different like no we're we're you know people we can unite in prayer we can unite in things we can unite in ceremony we can unite and you know with our voices and so one of the things we did was you know we we ran from Darby Wells. Darby Wells is located off of the Hanamooka Reservation. It's a Hiacharatam, uh site, and it's it's a village, um, one of the last villages for the Hiacharatam. and it's a run we took from there to Kitakukito Springs, and Kitakukito Springs is located on the Oregon Pipe National Monument, and is a Hiyachiratham site. It's an autumn sacred site, and so we ran from one sacred place to the other. And what we experienced on the ground from border patrol alone was was a thing of its own.
0: When when was this run?
1: Uh, this run was last year. So we gave advance notice. We informed you know everyone that we would what we would be doing and who we were, and they. They were pretty um, respectful and understanding, you know, as we, as we passed through. But one thing we all noticed was once we got through, once we hit the Tahanamatan Reservation, our own tribal lands, water um, patrol, they, they sent their helicopters and they did their, their, their moves. You know, they, they swooped around us several times and they kicked up everything. They, you know, and this was after we had ran all day we had ran all day and all we wanted to do was rest and so they did this to us at night and then they did this to us in the morning and you know we, we gathered ourselves and we continued to run and then they set up a this like roadblock they gathered all their vehicles and they blocked the road they looked at us as if we were we were in the way and we can we we ran through them we just kept running and running and running
0: what did they do did they do anything when you ran through
1: no they just looked at us didn't Uh say anything they just looked at us then uh once we reached off the um off the boundary lines of the reservation we were greeted by other border patrol agents It it was the craziest thing you know we all noticed this you know, on the reservation, we're targeted. We're, we were harassed. Helicopters were flying over us, kicking up everything. Border Patrol was setting up, you know, these these blocks and and just, you know, giving us looks. And um, But once we reached off the reservation, Border Patrol agents were still there, but they were waving to us. They were rolling down their windows asking us what we were doing because they felt like what we were doing was so inspiring. They were so proud of us. They were impressed and they they said that they they knew how far we had been running and that is really what it feels like what we experienced on our own lands um by border patrol was entirely different than what you know we experienced off the reservation we did on that journey you know we questioned you know why things were the way they were and why we were treated a certain way Um, you know it was a journey in prayer and a lot of things were done you know in 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 a really good way and just Going about it in the right way, you know, is even in doing it in that way, we were still given a hard time.
0: Yeah, and I think hearing about that journey um really uh you know, sets us up to talk about Quito by Quito Springs, right? Why is that such an important place? Why is it so significant? What is its proximity to the border? And could you also talk about what happened? on the day that in September of 2020 when you were when you were there and you heard the 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 sounds of the construction machines coming to to build the border wall what you did in that moment
1: okay so Quito Paquito Springs out of Apia is a one of the last villages for him um, him are a band of autumn that have been that are unfederally recognized and whose lands have also been divided into different federal um agencies and and so there's a whole history um before the arrest it was important for for a lot of us to to attempt to educate those who are willing to listen and also um you know continue to inform ourselves with our own history um there's a history of our lands being taken there's a history of our um lands being desecrated and you know like i said we exist beyond borders so with the spring it was important for us to to be there. Um, Kito Paquito is known to have a burial site um, for Hiacharatam, and Hiacharatam have a different way of burying their people and it's what separates them and it's what's you know um, it's special (laughs) it's it's a special area it's home to endangered species Um, it's a rare source of water Um, it's a rare source of um, of life and and so it's it's extremely special and sacred to to Hiachotam and to all Atam. Um, so many journeys um sacred journeys pilgrimages have been made um and stops have been made there um it's it's our history and with the border wall construction there was a lot of fear you know there was a lot of efforts being made with environmental groups and even with the Hohonohtam nation you know trying to um you know get through to to the Trump administration it was it was this Rush, you know how do how do we protect our lands and what do we do? And as tribal members, you know a lot of us were going out and visiting and offering prayer. And for for us youth, you know we were reaching out to our elders. How do we do this? What do we do? What is it? You know what is it that we we need to do? And and prayer was the the emphasis. You know you you pray, you go offer prayer, go offer prayer, and be there and and ask for guidance and. So that was something we were doing um, consistently. And the day of the arrest, there was also, um, you know, there was this holiday that had passed. And so there was this sense of calmness at the spring. And we went early that morning. And as, you know, we arrived and we went to our, you know, like. We each have like this you know place we go and
0: how many people how many people were you with
1: oh it was just myself and ellie joe david okay
0: and, and ellie joe david's an autumn member as well correct
1: yes and she's also a hyacinth descendant mm-hmm. and and so that was the other thing you know there's descendants from the quito paquito spring um there's families that survived an epidemic there's there's a history of of what happened to the hyacinth and how the lands were divided and and so we're both descendants along with, with others, and, and so that was, you know, what we were doing was making trips out there. We made that trip. We went to our, you know, separate places, and as soon as we heard the beeping of the construction vehicles, it was, like, instant for both of us. Uh, we ended up meeting in the same place. We both ran up, and she, before I did, she already knew. She was like, no, they're not doing this. They're not doing this.
0: You just, you just got up and ran, ran over there without even thinking.
1: Mm-hmm. I grabbed water. <laughs> I grabbed water and I grabbed the, my shalka and and uh, we ran over and it was it was the day that they planned on um, digging. It was an earth mover ready to to literally break ground with, with no one around with with no understanding of what meant to us. Autumn and
0: oh, so they were go- they were going to dig right into the spring. Yes. Itself.
1: Yes. Oh, it was the the um near the border. It was in the spring itself. So Quito is located about two hundred feet from the border. So where they were, um, was right about you know, it was that distance from the spring and it was it was land that had never been touched and harmed and dug into before. And so it was it was without hesitation, you know, we had to do something. Uh, you know, Nellie Joe placed it herself, you know, in front on one side and then I on the other and so any attempt this earth mover attempt you know um with him attempting to dig in we we blocked him and then there was a you know a tractor that came through you know he was waving his the bed of the tractor trying to get us to move and um and it was closest to Nellie Jo so I you know she turned and you know began to yell at him and he parked his he parked the tractor laid the bed and as soon as she you know he laid the bed downy. She jumped in and started, you know, saying, "No, you're not going to do this. You're not going to dig." And I stayed on the end of the earth mover, and you know, we did the same. We, we explained who we were and what the land meant to us, and and what it felt like, you know, for for them to you know be attempting with to do what they were doing to our history, to our sacred place. And and how
0: did they did they respond to you when you were explaining to them? You're talking about the people <laughs> driving these vehicles, right?
1: Yes. So they. They stopped. Um, They parked their vehicles. Um, We stayed put and we made several phone calls. And we had a camera crew arrive. And before they arrived though, they had, um, we had National Park service officers and also um, the Border Patrol agents, several Border Patrol agents present and there was, um, we were taking turns singing, and as soon as these uh, the camera crews arrived, there was an instant, you know, back off, <laughs> they backed off, they backed off from us. They literally decided, once the camera crews arrived, that they needed to reevaluate or decide what they were going to do with us. Um, so, they
0: didn't want to be on camera,
1: <laughs> yes. So, they right. have body cams. <laughs> so, this is the funny thing. So, these guys had body cams, and so they did the
0: construction work. The construction workers had body cams, or the border patrol agents,
1: uh, border patrol agents in the National Park Service. They had their body cams, they had their cell phones out. So, they were going back and forth, you know, trying to decide what to do. Um, they eventually removed uh, Nellie Joe David. And so they carried her out of the bed and
0: Forci- forcibly. Did like did Nellie, Joe, David go on her on her own, or did they have to like lift her out of the out of the bucket?
1: They literally lifted her. They used they lifted her. She she refused to be, you know, taken. And so they lifted her. And and so, as they did that, you know, I I yelled and um, and so they arrested her. They got her in the van. And they told me um, that I had permission to leave. And I asked them if they could leave. And we went through this back and forth. And as this was happening, they all began to encroach.
0: You, they are coming on to you, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And so I was trying to explain, look, I'm not refusing to leave. I'm asking you to leave. And I'm also not resisting arrest. <laughs> And you know, I just kept going and going and going as they arrested me. And um, so we didn't have any charges. They told us they were going to take us to Ajo, and instead they took us to the Lukeville Port of Entry, where they uh, fingerprinted us and searched us. And they um, then they took us to Core Civic, and Core Civic is a for-profit uh, migrant detention center. And this was during COVID.
0: And that's far away, right? It's not. Close to where you were.
1: Yes, I was in Florence, and so we we were taken there without charges. Um, we had to advocate for ourselves while there, you know, for them to wear gloves, for them for we had to ask for hand soap. Um, there was no hand sanitizer available, and it was this back and forth of like, why are we here, and what are our charges, and how long will we be here, and can we speak to a lawyer? And so it was both of us, you know. Um, and they said that I was giving them a hard time, so they put me on a, a high risk security. Um, they said I was a risk to security, and and so then we were separated and you know put into different cells, with still not knowing why we were there for how long we would be there. And you know we were there for two days uh, before they released us, and we were released under pretrial service conditions. And you know with those conditions, it's it's monthly, daily monitoring. And they um, charged us with two misdemeanor charges of violating a closure order and interfering with the federal function. And so it was... So this was in September of 9-9, 2020.
0: Right. Could I ask you one question? The the day-to-day surveillance, did that mean you had to wear an ankle bracelet or... What did that mean?
1: They wanted every address we would be at. And if we weren't at our home address, so they needed our our home address, our phone numbers, our employment, everything, medications, um, everything. They wanted everything, every detail, our urine samples. And it was, and if you, if I missed a phone call, um, I was given a violation. So with three violations, you get taken back in. Um, there was a phone call I missed and they called my mom and they threatened to call the marshals to send the marshals to my mom's place. And it was hurtful. That was awful. That was so upsetting for one phone call being missed. So then I got a call from my mom and she was so upset. And she was like, why didn't you answer your phone? And I had no missed calls. So I called them and it was to them, it was like, oh, you know, it's a misunderstanding. It was this, but it was this real big stern, you know. This is what you need to abide by.
0: It was was that Customs and Border Protection, or who who was them?
1: That was the that was pretrial service. So we were each assigned a pretrial service officer. Um, but that was, you know, that was our real real life from from place to place, being followed by sheriff's departments, uh, TOPD, um, national Gu- guards, the whole shebang. Um, tpd it it's been a year well it's been over a year it's been over 15 months of just of that
0: and then you entered a a period where you were in a trial right
1: yes november 4th um so Nellie joe davis she took the plea deal and i wanted to take it to trial i felt like what they did was wrong and how they how they did what they did was wrong um it felt important to fight. The government didn't want it to be fought. The government didn't even want the Religious Freedom Restoration Act to be used.
0: And that was your defense. That was your defense.
1: Mm-hmm. They were trying to um, prevent the testimony, my own testimony, and the testimony of a, a respected elder who was a living document for our people, for Hiacharatum, for Um in court. They, they make comments. Um, They also attempted to compare what we did to the insurrection at the Capitol. Um,
0: Really? They said that in court.
1: Mm -hmm. And they also, you know, attempted to, to use the, um, the Navajo Nation versus uh, U.S. Forest Service case. Um, There was a Ninth Circuit ruling uh, where the Navajo Nation sued, you know, because of the snowballs, the the artificial snow desecrating their sacred mountain and, you know, they they lost. And so they were attempting to say that the government had the right to do as they saw fit to their lands, to improve their lands. They even called it. Um, And that, you know, that that there was no right that we had. Um, So one of the things that um, was argued was the difference, the difference of there being, you know, The government prosecuting myself um, versus me prosecuting the government. And there was um, also manifest error in the charges. The charges given were for myself and Nellie Joe David for the day that we are both arrested without them clearly reviewing what evidence they had at hand. In trial, the prosecutor's office used a YouTube video instead of using their own body cams. And they um, they weren't able to to argue their 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 aside because they had um, they also didn't include evidence to back up their um, claim that there was they used little restrictive means to remove us, and also that um, there was a, a violation of uh, or interference of a federal function in the in the footage i'm i'm off to the side i'm away from equipment i'm not interrupting anything i'm not interfering with anything the government could have continued the work they were doing um if there were safety issues that you know they could the government could have provided you know a hard hat and a vest um if there were safety concerns and you know it was it was clear cut Um, they lost and and so it was a shock. You know, it sounded like we would be going back into trial or for a retrial. And instead, on January 19th... Um,
0: of oh, this year, right? Yeah, it just happened. Yeah.
1: It just happened. Okay, so the arrest was September 9th of 2020. And on January 19th of 2022, the judge um, found me not guilty.
0: Okay, could you just explain, like, what, was your th- what were your thoughts when you heard the judge say that? Because you said it wasn't expected, right? And so what did you think? What went through your, your mind when, when, when that happened?
1: Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I was so surprised. Um, to be honest, my spirit is still, still gathering itself from all of it because of how distressful that was. Um, they from the get-go made me feel like I was going to lose. I had my first appointed lawyer, my second, they were appointed lawyers that I was going through. After the arrest, There were lawyers I was seeking out. And and I was told by several that I was going to lose. And and so when I continued to push forward with it, I, I had that in the back of my mind. But my goal was to push forward so that people could understand, like, look, this is what we experienced. And this is the you know, how we are treated and the gov. it was, it was on both sides of, of things. Um, it was a relief. It's a huge victory for, for our people, for the future of, um, of those who want to, to take a stand.
0: Yeah. So that to, 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 as my last question, this, this isn't an, sets an incredible precedent. Do you think like going forward uh, as, you know, as we know, the, the border construction still goes on, right? There's towers being, const- you know, not just the border. wall. there's, there's surveillance towers and there's border patrol presence. There's, there's the checkpoints that you discussed. Um, you know, do you think this sets a precedent for other people and yourself and um, going on that we can, that people can actually challenge what, what the border patrol is doing in the borderlands?
1: Yes, it is entirely possible. They do make it difficult. It's not easy. It is uncomfortable. They will use all means necessary to make your life the most uncomfortable thing to set you to make you even psychologically feel as if you're cornered, and it's it's a successful tactic. Um, these are trained individuals we deal with. These are, um, you know, this is this is our real government. That is been you know dominating our lands for a long time, and but there's real hurt, there's real trauma, there's real PTSD, there's real suffering of a people on the ground that are not military, that are not um, government, that are real people on the ground, um, and and you know censorship is real, um, efforts to censor people that's real. Um, you know, even divide people. We see, we see how politics do that. We see how um, how lands do that. Even it's it can be religion too. Um, you know, going through this, it has been spiritual, and it has been difficult, but it's entirely possible. You know, we as individuals have been literally, it feels like fighting for for our freedom to to understand you know, who we are as a people and why we are where we are. And um, you know what, what we experience from, from the government. It's, you know, there's generational trauma. A lot of us are still in the process of healing from. And, and so yeah, I think it's important for, for future generations to know like, yes, it's okay. Like, you know, we can rise above it. You can speak through it, um, it's okay.
0: Well, thank you so much, uh, Amber, Lee Ortega, for sharing this experience. And, and what, is there any other things as far as you're concerned that you'll have to do? Or, or is this done for you now and you're going and you're moving on to new realms? Like, what are you doing now?
1: Oh, heck, I'm doing a lot. So part of my goal before my involvement was to connect with my family, to connect with my outcome roots. Um, I am a student and I'm also in the process of healing from traumas. And so my degree is working um, for social work, but I also behavioral services and behavioral sciences. Um, my goal is to, to help um, do gardening and be returning to work, um, working with the agriculture department. Um, I've been a student for a while. And so it's a long journey to To help on, you know, I want to understand what it is and how it is um, to go about moving forward, and in terms of health for our, for our people, for our lands. Um, I'm on a lifelong journey. <laughs> this really isn't um, the beginning or end of anything. It's it's just this continuation of my life. To be honest, um, to help repair, um, there's there's a lot of work that needs to be done to repair, and and it covers so many aspects, um, mentally, physically, spiritually. And the goal is to to keep with it, to stay alive and to encourage those who, who need some encouragement to do the same.
0: Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Amber, for speaking with us. And uh, I can tell you one thing, I feel inspired by your story. Um, and and thank you for all you do and all that you will do.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. The Border Chronicle is reported by Todd Miller and Melissa Del Bosque, based in Tucson, Arizona. This interview was edited by me, Lily Clark. You can read and listen to more local border reporting on our website, theborderchronicle.com.